Welcome to Nicefelt People That Inspire. What defines inspirational in a language teacher? This panel of inspirational Nicefelt members will discuss who and what has inspired them throughout their careers in world language education and what they find inspirational in our profession today. Panelists include Joanne Esrick, 2008 winner of the Nicefelt Ruth E. Wasley Outstanding Foreign Language Educator Award K-12. Rosa Riccio Pietanza of New York City and New York University, Steinhardt School of Culture, Education and Human Development, 2010 Nicefelt Dorothy Ludwig Award for Service to the Profession. And finally, Joanne O'Toole, past president of Nicefelt, past winner of the Nicefelt Papalia Research Award and DiBartolo Leadership Award. The first question we're asking them to address is a definition of inspirational. What to you defines inspirational in a language teacher? And when you think of people who inspired you, what was it about them that inspired you? What is inspiration? And Rosa is going to speak last. And Joanne is going to speak first. There we go. And I'm a great rule breaker, so I don't answer the question directly. Mm -hmm. But it's all good. Um, so to inspire in its really purest sense means to breathe life into and in more common usage, inspiration is what happens when the people and things around us influence, arouse, or prompt us to feel and think in new or different ways. What we need to realize is that inspiration, by definition, is an external act. In order to have that new life breathed into us, or for us to feel or think in new or different ways, two things have to happen. The first one is that we have to be open to being inspired, something that may require us to be a little bit more humble or vulnerable. And second, we have to be able to recognize and even keep an eye open for that inspiration. Sometimes inspirations come as those aha moments, and sometimes they come when we start reflecting on past experiences that all of a sudden we can make sense of with new information or maturity, age does good things for us. Um, no matter how or when the inspiration arrives, it really is when we acknowledge it and we accept it that we can become transformed and then inspirational to others. And as teachers, and more specifically language teachers, there are so many sources for our inspiration and so many positive ways we in turn can inspire our students and our colleagues. I consider each one of my inspirations a special gift, some larger than others. And I'm not the teacher I was when I began this journey, nor am I the teacher I will be in the future. I've chosen to take that vulnerable stance, and therefore every student I teach, every student I taught, every colleague I've worked with, every colleague I will work with, has the potential to inspire me and to inspire my teaching. When I was preparing to speak today, I began by brainstorming who and what had inspired my language teaching career. I can't even begin to tell you how long that list became. Um, I also realized that for every single story I have to tell, every single member of this audience has one that's equally as important and powerful. So I'm only going to share a few of mine, um, but not really for the purpose of storytelling, but to reveal to you the lessons that I learned um, from those who inspired me with the hope that maybe my lessons will be ones that can inspire you. And so I'm actually going to begin with an inspiration that probably doesn't fit any of the categories, but I'm sure, especially if you teach Spanish, that this will be one that will speak to you. Um, as a learner and a teacher of Spanish, I've been inspired by many speakers of that beautiful language, their cultural practices and products. And the one that's breathed life into my teaching more than any other is the character of Don Quixote de la Mancha. <laughs> to me, this brilliant, imaginative, romantic, chivalrous, idealistic, passionate, and insane character embodies everything we should know and do as teachers. We need to be able to imagine the possibilities for teaching and learning. We must love and respect what we teach and who we teach. 
We must be passionate about our teaching and even a little bit crazy as we relate our content and our passion. But most of all, we must always believe that every learner can succeed, even if, or especially if, others don't. I think my greatest gift was the day when a group of students approached me and said, Senora, you do know that Don Quixote isn't a real person, don't you? <laughs> I acted totally shocked and dismayed and will forever believe that he's as real as we should be in our teaching. Thank you, Joanne. And our next Joanne, <laughs> what is inspirational to you? And uh, when you think of people who inspired you, what was it? Well, for me, inspiration comes largely from what we feel and what moves us, what moves me, from the music that we listen to in our daily lives to watching sports teams on TV, TV shows, to viewing tragedies like earthquakes in Haiti or Chile. Um, I look around and I find people that inspire me and they come in the most amazing forms. Uh, you know that I teach part-time and I also work at a soup kitchen. I work in the largest soup kitchen in Nassau County, the Mary Brennan the Inn. And the guests that are there inspire me through their humbleness and their thankfulness for what they are receiving. And the, the volunteers themselves, one in particular is Morris, who washes and gives out the fresh fruit every day. And he comes in with a gusto for living, a passion, a smile on his face. He was uh, on vacation for three weeks. He sent in a substitute. He sent in his 83-year-old friend, Lenny. Lenny enjoyed it so much that Lenny stayed on. But Morris is 90 years old. <laughs> and the passion that he brings, not to disappoint people, to be on time, and, and to truly care about the people that we're working with, inspires me every week. For my students, I find that it's difficult to inspire other people to accomplish uh, what we're not willing to try ourselves. And as language teachers, teaching affords us an excellent opportunity to model for our students the skills that we wish to instill in them. And I'll give you an example. One year I taught a fourth year class. They had passed the regents, but skill-wise they weren't very strong. So I needed to find something that would excite them. So I went to sporting events and theater events and extracurricular to find out what was it that my students really enjoyed doing in their free time. Because I could take anything that they were interested in and use it in my classroom and the vehicle of expression would be the target language. So there's a wealth that you can do with what students are into. into. Uh, in my particular high school, electronic devices and cell phones are not to be in school. However, every student has one and they're all connected. So I decided that music would be the venue that I would use. And I had them read about MC Solar, the rapper. I let them listen to some of MC Solar and every student had an opinion that this was not rap. Um, I presented them a model where I told them about the music that I like to listen to and I presented Ravel's Bolero and explained why I liked it, gave some information about it. And pretty soon my students were telling me what they liked. And I had students who were into rap, reggae, and also into Bollywood. So I developed a unit where they had to do research on their particular famous um, musician. Um, they had to present with PowerPoint and give a little video clip. And at the very end, they were going to do a video, a short video of their own, in most cases, their own rap. And in order to get them to do that, that meant I had to do a rap video as well. With the help of my son at the time, he was like 17, and I borrowed his clothes, and I borrowed hats and jewelry, and I got into this and all of that. I, I developed my own rap mini video, half in French, half in English, and I slipped it in with all the student videos so that they could see that I truly believed if I was asking them to do something that it was important that I model the expectations that I had. 
And they were quite surprised that I would actually do it because rap was not one of my favorite forms of music. But I was inspired by their enthusiasm and we worked together on the project, so we inspired each other. So I strongly recommend that you find out what your students are interested in and channel that enthusiasm, but the vehicle of expression will be your target language. Thank you, Julian. Mm -hmm. And for Rosa. Hi. Good afternoon. Throughout our careers as both students and as professionals, we're inspired by people who have the capacity to really engage our mind and to really engage our emotions. People that actually help us become successful and feel success. People that create learning experiences for us that are memorable. And people who also have the ability to bring out talents that we didn't even know we had. Um, when I started thinking about the language teachers, you know, who inspired me to become a language teacher, you know, I asked, what did they do to inspire me? Where, you know, why were they my best teachers? Was it because I was a strong student in French and in Italian? Was it because they were accessible to me? And, and the more time I thought about this question, I came to realize that what they did for me is they actually created experiences that engaged the emotion, that really got me involved. In my French class, I felt like I landed in a different country. I was no longer Miss Richard, but I was Mademoiselle. I could dream about living in a different world. I could actually then st start to love music and started to do research on another culture. And it really provided a venue for dreaming about other possibilities. Participating in the role plays, participating in music festivals, writing journals, all those experiences really helped shape my desire to become a language teacher. But one of the things that actually my, the uh, my, one of my French teachers who was chair of the department asked me to tutor other students. And in the act of tutoring others, we really come to learn our own talents. So he, I did that, but he also asked me to be an intern in the department. So he gave me the opportunity to play school. And in doing that, I actually said, you know what, I want to do this. I think I could do this. So when I went into college, it was very easy for me to select my major. It was going to be French. In college, I was inspired by an amazing uh, professor of Italian, Mario Fratti. A couple of us actually were inspired by him. His passion for the subject was amazing, and it was contagious. Half of his students became teachers. And when we looked at what it was, he made the work accessible. He presented it in such a way that the work was easy. It was really complex. But he, the way he was able to explain it and his planning to do that made it seem engaging, accessible to all of us, and inspirational. So after his class, I ended up with a dual major. So it was French and Italian. But that was the power of his inspiration. I also happened to have a wonderful methods teacher who further inspired me. And in thinking of today's panel, um, this was when I still wasn't sure if I if, um, you know, I, I was going to try and interpret or become an interpreter, but she really helped solidify the choice of teaching. And she actually required all of her method students to attend the Northeast Conference. <laughs> and in 19, can I say it? Okay. 1969, we were here as all her students. But what she did is she actually attended the sessions with us. So we were, this was a requirement. We were to come here. And then we debriefed the experience back at college. Well, that, you could see I'm still involved. What that experience really helped to say, you know what, professional organizations are important. So for me, that, that a lot of that inspiration came from modeling, from really being connected, from somebody really taking me and engaging me. But again, the emotional experiences, the experiences that I have you know, had through the years really is what helped me you know, move forward and, and decide on a career in teaching. So I'm going to share that. Thank you, Rosa. We found out what inspired our panelists. The next question is a little bit harder. How do we inspire our students? Every day we teach them, we monitor them, we assess them. But how do we truly 
inspire our students. And if you have a story of a student who's been inspired, could you share that with us? All right. I'm going to do kind of the backward design Good. <laughs> approach to this, <laughs> which is starting with myself as the student who was inspired. Um, in 1979, <gasps> I got um, a bachelor's degree in Spanish language and literature from SUNY Binghamton. I didn't become a teacher. I wasn't so confident in my Spanish skills, and I wasn't so sure that teaching was for me. Wasn't really sure what I was going to do with the Spanish, just loved it. Um, several years later, I decided maybe teaching was for me. But at that point, I was the mother of three children, and they were all under the age of six. And I was really in that very elementary realm. And so I went up to SUNY Oswego, where I'm currently teaching, to sign up to take an education class to find out if this was for me. And back at the time when you went up to a registration table rather than doing it online, I walked up to a table where uh, a professor, Nate Smith, was, or wait, Nate Swift, shame on me, um, was manning that table. And I said to him, I think I want to take an education class. And he probed to find out, and I explained how, you know, I had already had my, match, my bachelor's degree and um, thought that. I would try this, see what he thought. And he said, oh, I know the perfect class for you. Sign up for this one. Well, it was his course. <laughs> um, and so as the course began, he, would, he kept coming over to me to chat with me. And he said, well, what do you think you want to teach? And I said, I want to be an elementary education teacher. And he looked at me and he said, we don't need elementary education teachers. What else can you do? And I said, well, I have a bachelor's degree in Spanish. And he said, and we need great Spanish teachers, and you will be a great Spanish teacher. I see it in you. <laughs> well, oh, my goodness. I hadn't used my Spanish in seven years. And I immediately pulled out every material I still had, and I started reading again and listening to anything I could find and I started writing and lo and behold I got my Spanish skills back better than ever because he believed in me and so the idea of how to inspire my students in essence the lesson was to believe in them to point out to them the belief we have in very explicit ways and to make sure that we're telling them what we see in them that we see as good things that they can do and how often I would hear from my students go me you see that in me and I go oh yes I do and you know as a result I've certainly seen the students flourish so again very much like that last story especially for the children who don't believe in themselves and others don't believe in them. We must believe in them, but we must let them know why and how we believe in them and make that really explicit to them. Thank you, Joanne. Joanne. You know, that's very true, everything that you've said. And I think in education, our victories are one person at a time, and you have to keep that in mind. And the victories come sometimes from the most improbable people that you don't think are paying attention, or you need to be aware that everybody needs to get feedback, especially positive feedback, that the slightest thing that they're doing is encouraging and important so that they continue. Um, and if they also hear it from people in other disciplines as well, I do a lot of interdepartmental work. Um, in my fourth year class, we do what's called artist workshop. and. I love Impressionism, and I bring my passion for Impressionism to the classroom, and not everyone is going to love Impressionism, but my job, I feel, is to expose them so that they will decide for themselves whether or not they enjoy it. I can't force feed the God down your throat, but if they have an appreciation for the man and what he has done, I think that's a step in the right direction. So. Again, I model units of study. I give them opportunities to 
hear from me directly when they come in the classroom. They'll hear the afternoon of a fawn playing and I will take them through various artists and a lot on PowerPoint explaining about them, asking them to choose a particular artist to study the biography of the man, to talk about what influenced them, how they influenced others, and to pick representative works of art. We're very fortunate to live not too far from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in Manhattan. So we take field trips and we visit the original works. And it's exciting to see students who have studied the works interact with originals. And if you have like a fourth or fifth year class that are working in tandem, it's exciting to see the older students getting excited watching the fourth year see it for the very first time. Uh, I bring in an art teacher and I ask her to do a session with the kids talking about perspective, dashing and dabbing of color, use of light, and I give them uh, copies of different handouts from different calendars, usually these are all landscapes, and they dash and they dab. And then I bring the, uh, the uh, art teacher back in to critique it. Now most of my students did not take art, not even in high school. And they would go, oh, this is terrible, this is garbage. But my art teacher colleague was able to say, look how you used the light, look how you dashed and dabbled. Everybody felt very good about their presentation. So the entire study of something that I love became something that they felt successful with. And I thought that was a big step in the right direction. Beautiful, thank you, Joanne. Rosa. Thank you. You know, in, in our role as, as teachers, um, we take on a professional persona, and we have an awesome responsibility. All the words that we use, all our steps, all our actions, really have a major impact on kids. So there are the students that we're going to inspire, but there are also some students that at times we will scar. So, you know, I, I want to mention that because, you know, as you've been saying, to really engage all your students, to believe in all your students is really key. Um, you know, kids watch our every move. They notice your hair color. They know when it's, you know, gee, it's time to do a touch-up. Um, and they will tell me. Um, they notice, you know, the, your, your moods from day to day. How, how you interact with your classmates. How fair you are with your grading. And how consistent are you. And they also know if you really care about them and if you're passionate about your work. Um, you know, when we ask teachers, well, who is this person who inspired you to become a teacher? You know, the response is usually, well, it was the teacher who cared about me, the one who believed in me, the teacher who told me that I needed to go to college, that I could make a great teacher, the teacher that I could talk to when I had a problem, and the teacher who made me love learning. You know, as a teacher of French and Italian for many years, you know, I was considered to be a good teacher in the classroom. But what I really found is the greatest impact I had on my students were the students that joined me in the extracurricular activities. The students that I spent time with the Italian club, which gave me the opportunity to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, to set goals together, to talk about the possibilities, and to really get to know them and their interests in so many other ways. So that these students, now, 32 years later, <laughs> remember you know, their experiences in the foreign language club, uh, participating in the shows and the performances, writing the scripts, playing the instruments, uh, working on stage, off stage, those that wrote our class newsletters, those that created the original videos, um, those that participated in the trips and trips abroad or locally, those that entered the poetry contests, those that we nominated for scholarships and awards, the students that we inducted into the Foreign Language Honor Society, those that participated in our mentoring programs, that tutored their peers, those that participated in pen pal exchange programs. These are the students that really, you know, many, many years later, these are the experiences that they remember, and I will get emails from former students that really talk about those experiences. You know, in statistics, students supposedly remember 5% of everything they learn in high school, which is very, very troubling, but they will always remember the experiences and the programs and those activities that you prepared for them and that they were able to participate in and engage you know, emotionally. You know, for, um, 
You know, one of the uh, also so positive things about being a foreign language teacher is that you can connect to all other disciplines. And as you know, you mentioned your work with art. I mean, with the arts, with music, with literature, with history. I mean, you really are a connector for all these other disciplines. And it gives us the possibility, I think, to be very creative. So if my interest is in one particular area, I can develop that creativity and really work with that in the classroom. So I think we're, we're uniquely positioned to really inspire our students, but then to re-energize ourselves and to develop our own you know, creativity. Um, I think also I, I just want to mention some other qualities that I think uh, you know, I, I see as, as, as a need to inspire others. And it, uh, we mentioned about being passionate about your subjects. Uh, for when we are inspired, I find that it's easier to inspire our students. But it's being available to them. And by that, I don't, you know, being very careful about the boundaries that we keep with our students, but being available, having that open door policy that students can come and talk to you. Uh, being a good listener, our, um, giving our students a responsibility, uh, or different types of responsibilities, and from time to time, making them the teacher in the classroom, or at least for different parts of the lesson, giving them those opportunities of swapping roles with them. And then asking for their input in the creation of assignments. What is it that they want to do? Their voice is very important in the classroom, and I think giving them opportunities to, to hear from them is, is key. And then, of course, that element of surprise, the day that you come in dressed as a character from the country. I mean, they, they love all those surprises. Um, you know, I, I'd like to, to share a, 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 a story about um, um, inspiring others, but it, in, in there's a case of one that wasn't even a direct inspiration. And I, and I want to say that students that you're working with now, it may lead to other things in the future. And I want to explain this case. A couple of months ago, I met two students that were part of my Italian club and had participated in all these performances with me. We went to hospitals, we went to Columbia University and presented these songs at Christmas. Well, these two students, boy and girl, met during that time. They got married. Uh, went to their wedding, and I hadn't seen them for about 25 years. A couple of months ago, I see them, and they say, Ms. Piatanza, we have to tell you something. And, you know, remember all those shows and all that time that we had fun, and we did this and we did that? Well, we kept talking about it to our daughter, and it was sort of the conversation at dinner, the conversation all the time. Well, we want you to know our daughter is a teacher of Italian, and she's doing all these things that we love so much as students. So, you know, that indirect inspiration, that it, here it was something that they, you know, were so passionate about that they were able to transmit that to their daughter. So I, I was thrilled to hear that story. But, um. Wonderful. Thank you, Rosa. I, I'm, I don't know if the rest of you are a little bit surprised, but nobody mentioned that the inspiration to students is learning how to conjugate a verb. <laughs> It seems that between caring for the students, helping them to believe in themselves like you believe in them, uh, making everything possible for them to succeed, hitting the different emotions, being creative, these are the things we're hearing from our panel today. Our third question leaves the students and now it gets into teachers. How can we inspire other teachers? How can we inspire the new teachers to the profession? And how can we inspire veteran teachers as well? Well, I told you how I was a little bit of a late entry into this teach, foreign language teaching career. But when I was first hired uh, to teach Spanish, my, my supervisor at the time, Porter Schirmerhorn, told me that I should plan to uh, attend an upcoming afternoon meeting of foreign language teachers from the local foreign language teachers association. And I didn't realize that that, wasn't, that that was optional. If he told me I was supposed to do it, well, of course, I did it. Um, so when I went to that first meeting, he introduced me to everyone there, and this was just like here today, just this incredibly welcoming community. I immediately was a member of this group, and this was September of my first year of teaching. Two months later, Porter had, unbeknownst to me, arranged for me to give a workshop to these teachers <laughs> at a regional foreign language teachers conference. And again, I didn't realize that this was an option, so I did it. So having only taught for three months, um, I was probably the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. And I think I shook for the whole 45 minutes. But these people were so kind and so gracious afterwards that 
I really did feel like a full-fledged contributing member of this community. And what Porter had really done for me was he had inspired my thinking about what it meant to be a foreign language professional. It wasn't just about my classroom teaching. It was really about being that contributing member of a larger community of foreign language professionals. And that's an inspiration I have drawn on over and over as I've taught and mentored many future and new language teachers. I invite, I encourage these people to attend conferences with me. I offer for them to co-present with me. I bring my, um, my method students with me. They're my co-presenters. I do exactly what Rosa says. We go to the workshops together. We bring it back. And then it becomes part of our conversation, not what I do versus what you do, but it's what we all do. And it has just been such an honor to be able to be in that role with my um, colleagues. And now I see my former students who are doing the same thing with their students. I think for many teachers, being in a department where you have an exchange of ideas is a very healthy atmosphere. Uh, young teachers, older teachers, I know I enjoyed getting to know the first year teachers. Many times uh, we would become mentors to the younger teachers, but I learned from them just as much as they were learning from me. And the exchange of ideas is very healthy, and in fact it's very refreshing to have a young student teacher or even a first year teacher come excited with an idea. I want to share this with you. Will you do this with me? Validate that it's okay, that we can do this. And I think that's very good. And to be an older teacher and to have a younger teacher want to work with you, it excites you as the older professional. As professionals, you can guide people, just as Joanne said, to become part of the professional organizations, which I think is healthy in terms of rounding you out as a human being. But the exchange of ideas, I think, is very, very important. I grew a lot within my department working with the different language teachers. And we worked together in partnership with many of the events that you spoke about, Foreign Language Week, the poetry contests, the dance contests, the music contests, all these things, not the classroom, but everything beyond the classroom that made everything that we did more relevant to the, to the students at large. And as if you can make whatever you do relevant to the real world, I think it validates your course and everything that you do in it. Yes, madame, I'll learn how to conjugate all these verbs because I really want to work for a company this summer and I might get a teaching and I might get an internship. Or can you teach me, you know, how to interview in French or dress for success? Yes, I can and I'll teach you all this vocabulary to go along with it. But you make yourself very relevant and you make it fun. And the passion that we're all talking about, the passion is there and kids see it. It's not fake. And the more that you are real and that they know that, you know, this is my life. I chose to do this. Someone inspired me. Yes, I had teachers in college that had the same fire. And I bring it to you. And I want to make your experience as practical and relevant as possible. Then I think you, you benefit tremendously. Everybody wins. Everybody learns and becomes inspired by it. I found it a good formula for success. Thank you, Joanne. Mm -hmm. And Rosa, what can you tell us about inspiring teachers? Well, a happy teacher makes for happy students. Um, yeah, I think that um, both new teachers and veteran teachers need to be valued. They need to be recognized and energized. And to, they need to be part of a learning community. And you just mentioned the idea of that learning community, people that come together to really work. I, th I think it's key. Working alone doesn't, is, is not really helpful. Um, teachers that you know, can really work together collaboratively with colleagues is key. And finding those opportunities and creating those opportunities, very, very important. And including student teachers, future teachers in that community as well. You know, I, I think you know, a, a lot has been said about how do we, you know, what we can do to really um, help ins inspire and motivate uh, new teachers and, and um, veteran teachers, and it is to really nominate them for different events. Nominate them for awards. Ask them to co-present. 
if they don't want to present by themselves. Have, you know, f uh, activities in the department, Nomin uh, again, nominate them for um, scholarships. Um, as a gift, give them a, you know, a membership to NYSEFEL. Um, That's you know, have them mentor aspiring teachers. Um, take on leadership roles at schools. At times we don't tap people because we think they're going to say no. Oh, no, we can't ask him. You know, but well, well, let's try doing that. Let's, let's find a way that we can really tap people's interests. And another, you know, thing is, um, you know, by, I, I do a lot of research for a lot of my colleagues. Well, they say, you know, do you know about this? Well, I, I really, I'm interested in myself. Once I hear the question, I'm going to do that research, and I'd like to then share resources with others. In fact, I keep a listserv with many of my colleagues so that when I find things that are of interest to them, I send it out to them. Mm -hmm. Scholarship opportunities. Uh, right now, what NYSEFELT is doing in terms of the state and our, our letter writing campaigns. I really share that because I believe in continuous growth of our profession. I think we have to keep learning. One of the key things I think that we can share, not only with our students, but with our colleagues, is the need to learn. That's what really keeps us going. That's why, you know, although I'm retired and have transitioned into another career, I feel just as busy as ever. But I feel the need to keep learning. You know, and I want to share that with others. And, and, and so that's something that I think is key. Um, you know, we talk about teachers as speedboats. We have the teachers that are the tugboats. And we have the teachers that are the barges. The speedboats are those that are, you know, if you say something, they run towards it. You know, even whether they're ready to run or not, but they're there. You know, your tugboats are those that really keep that, the work going. And then you've got those barges who are so set in their ways that no matter what you do, you can't get them to. <laughs> well, you, you hook them onto the speedboat. <laughs> and, and you really, you know, so finding those ways to really bring them along, I think, is, is really key. But we, we do. I mean, these are the people that we're working with and, you know, finding the, the right venue. But um, I just want to mention the work that both NYSEFELT and NYCAFELT in New York City is doing, I'm sure, and all of your other organizations. And what Robin, who's there, has just started to do, Robin has started a mentoring program for new teachers. It's an, a think tank. And every month, a group of new teachers and more invited as they graduate. And it's a support group for new teachers where they can come and bring their problems in a non-threatening environment and talk about how to deal with these issues. So it's those types of things that I think you know, we can really continue to do to further inspire and uh, move our teachers. And I, I just want to say, you know, usually um, it's in later years that we truly appreciate and realize the impact that our educators or our students and colleagues have had on our lives a couple of weeks ago, um, my uh, Professor Fratti, who I mentioned before, my Italian professor at Hunter, he's also uh, the author of the screenplay Nine, the musical Nine, that won a Tony Award. Mm -hmm. uh, well, he, we honored him a couple of weeks ago, and many of his former students were, were in attendance. And while he received his award, he said, my life is fulfilled I've seen so many of my students become successful teachers and leaders. And, and he was, had tears in his eyes while he was saying that. And I think he, you know, he's, he's about 81 now. And seeing his students who are teaching and further, he really felt fulfilled and that he's accomplished a lot. So for me, I said, you know, hope that my life and our lives are just as fulfilled as, as, as his has been. Thank you. Um, Joanne O'Toole has some final statements and uh, an anecdote for us. Well, I told you earlier that when I began, I started brainstorming my inspirations. And the reality was the list was filled with names of students I had taught. And if ever someday I write a book, it will be about the students who inspired me and how they inspired me. And so uh, one of my stories had to be about a student. And with so many students over so many years, it's kind of hard to pick out single one or single ones from thousands of students. But I did leave my high school teaching position in 2004 to transition to post-secondary teaching. And this was a student at the very end of my career that um, probably was the one who has most deeply inspired me both as a teacher and as, as a t classroom teacher as well as a teacher of teachers. Um, 
and on a very highly per personal level. Um, as you know, our language classrooms are places that are truly unique, as Rosa has said, um, from other classrooms to the degree to which we expect students to communicate with us and one another. And it's from all of that interpersonal communication that we get to know each other so well. Jamie was one of those students that I got to know well. And in particular, it was through his journal writing. Because in his journal writing, he told me everything about what mattered in his life. And I discovered that I was teaching in the Spanish three class a particularly sensitive young man. And he and I built a really strong relationship, but he also built a really strong relationship with his peers because, again, that interpersonal communication wasn't just student to teacher, but it was also student to student. Spanish for the next year, his junior year in high school, his schedule was such that he was placed with a different teacher. Well, he immediately walked to his counselor's office and said, you need to change my schedule. I need to be with Senora. <laughs> and as it turned out, a large number of his peers were also with me. So it was as much about being with me again as it was about being with this group of students <coughs> who had become such close friends of his. Um, the end of Spanish 4, students started talking about who was going on, who wasn't going on to the next level of Spanish, and a number of these peers had decided it was time to stop studying the foreign language. Jamie called an after-school meeting in my classroom <laughs> to discuss the situation. Senora, it would be all right if, if we all met in your classroom. I need to talk to them about signing up for Spanish 5 next year. And lo and behold, they all came. So I had a room filled with students, and Jamie's like, come on, you've got to help me tell them why they need to go on. And it was the most wonderful situation that it was the student who was taking charge, letting them know how important this was. And it wasn't about how Spanish was going to get you further in your career. It was about us staying together as a language learning community that sense of community that they get to build when they're with us year after year, the gift that we as language teachers very often find ourselves um, is, is a good thing, a good way to build our relationships. So he, he discussed this with them, brought me in as he needed more arguments, and ultimately every one of those students signed up for Spanish 5. Um, and so really watching him in action, listening to his words, seeing how this all played out, made me realize I wasn't teaching classes of students. I was teaching communities of students. And there were communities where every single student was a full-fledged member of equal value. Well, in September of 2003, which was my last year teaching at that high school, our Spanish 5 class needed the sense of community more than we ever, ever could have imagined because Jamie had died towards the end of August. But because we were a community, we were able to celebrate his life like you've never seen. And we spent the first day of school that fall creating Mexican paper butterflies because there was nothing Jamie liked more than the days we did crafts in class. And we made these. And on each one, the students wrote messages. And they'd only write them in Spanish, because that's what Jamie would have wanted. And they wrote messages to Jamie. And we hung these across all four walls of our room. <laughs> I'm doing good not to cry. I promise. It's, it's been hard. Um, we hung these on all four walls of the room. And they stayed there. As they fell down, I would allow the student who wrote it, if they wanted to keep it, that they could take it home with them, and they all did. And my last day teaching in that school, I left mine on the bulletin board before I left because I couldn't take it down. So I have for you a butterfly. It says on it, inspire and be inspired. And I want you to use this to remember 
who and what has inspired your journey as a professional language educator, particularly thinking of the ways your students have inspired you, your students' actions have inspired you, and the way you can use those lessons to inspire others. So please make sure you each take one of these before you leave. Thank you, Joanne. And we will make sure everybody gets a butterfly before the end of the, the presentation today. At this time, we invite the audience. Hopefully, you've come up with a few questions for our panel. Um, we invite you to present your questions to either the whole panel or to an individual. And um, I will remind the panelists that if you could simply repeat or paraphrase the question that you're going to address for the sake of the audio cast. Do we have some questions? Yes. No, we'd have to repeat it into the microphone. In short, the question is, if you have a student who hasn't succeeded in the past, who has trouble learning the language, is set through going through for the second time, what do you do to inspire that student? Go for it. Okay. Um, three things come to my mind. The first one goes back to my, my very early days of teaching. And I remember my fourth period, Spanish one, eighth grade class, it was, even though students weren't tracked in foreign language classrooms, they were tracked in all their other content areas. So lo and behold, they were tracked in our classroom because that was the period they all happened to have free. And this was a group of relatively low-functioning students, generally, academically. And so they walked in do the door day one knowing they couldn't do this because, well, they couldn't do anything else anyways and very negative attitudes, a very negative energy in the classroom. And I started to feel that negative energy. And I'd be like, oh, I've got to go to Spanish, the fourth period Spanish class. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I don't like feeling like this, how can they like feeling like this? And so one day I walked in determined I was going to find something every single student in that classroom did well. And I made sure Every day, I told as many of them as, as I could, you did this really well, even if it was just organizing their materials or how they pronounced a particular word, how, no matter how small it was. And I would hear that, me? Me? By the end of that year, that was a classroom filled with kids who believed in themselves and who achieved. That was the first thing. The second thing I think of, oh my goodness, um, I'm going to pass it along because old age is hitting with me and I just had a, a mental <laughs> block. And that's on tape. Isn't that awful? <laughs> I had three ideas. I should have written them down. Do we have a continuation? Well, oh my goodness. What along with what Joanne is saying, when you take a real interest in that child, when you find out what that child really likes to do outside of school in his free time, I would spend a lot of time finding out what my students were like other than in my classroom to get a total picture. I think that means a big difference, makes a big difference to them. And yes, many times I would talk sports because they were in for sports. And the next thing you know, the speech went from talking in English to talking in French about sports. And some, you know, did you see this particular athlete? Yes, and by the way, there's a French athlete who also does this. And when they find out that you know, you're not going to beat them up with verbs and tenses and grammar, and you're really interested in what they're into, that's why I did the unit on the rap, because my students were really into rap, even though they weren't into conjugating verbs. 
but by the end I had all the skills I needed and they were sharing. If you can get that student to share with you something that really excites him, that opens up a world where you can do whatever you need to teach him through that particular world. If it's sports, art, music, that's the important thing. And like Joanne said, the use of compliments, complimenting people, you might say, well, this was a tiny little thing this kid did. It might have been monumental, but he did it. And each time you compliment them, and it has to be genuine, because children see right through you. And they know that you're genuine, and they know really care. They'll do anything for you. Yes, Madonna's on my side. And that's the side you want to get on. But you have to do your research about the child. And many of us have classes of 30 or more, and you might have more than one problem child. You might have many problem children. But if they know they can come to you and just talk, sometimes I was a parent. I parented all day. But they knew they could come. I think being accessible is very important. I was accessible to them not only as their French teacher, but a woman, someone who really cared. They knew I had children. I could talk to them like a mom. I could tell them things they didn't want to hear, but somebody had to tell them. If they respected what I said, we could go forward. Sometimes they liked what I said, sometimes they didn't. And you find out years later how successful that was, especially when you said something that was unpopular. Years later, they come back and say, you know, you were the only one who told me I couldn't do this now, and I'm glad I listened to you. So. That's what you're faced with, but it, it is doable because I think the people sitting in this room care very much about what they do, about the people who sit in their classes. There's a passion that brought you to this conference, and it's that passion that takes you from day to day. Yeah, yeah I, I just wanted to mention that, you know, in, in terms of students who are repeating, we're talking about students whose self-image may not be as, as positive at this point, and it's trying to find, you know, whether it be a, a buddy or a peer that they could work with. But I find that what's also been effective is giving students a choice of different assignments to show their understanding of the work so that you really can tap different learners. So that if it is a, a project that we're working on, well, somebody can present it through a skit, and someone can present it through a video that they prepare. Someone can present it through internet research. But try to find different ways that they can show you their understanding of the work. And I find, you know, even with homework assignments, you know, we, we tend to give the one assignment, but it's okay to give two or three and choose the one that you'd like to work on. You know, and it's trying to come up with those different types of activities that they can show their interest. Because sometimes they may not be able to conjugate those words, but maybe they can you know, use rap to conjugate. We can conjugate through rap. We can do it through other ways and you know, engage them that way. So I find that sometimes giving choice of assignments that can show us in different ways what their understanding is and will engage them, especially group activities where someone who is, ha who is struggling can work with another group and you know, be part of that. That, that. that, for me, has been very successful. Maybe, Joanne, you'd like to finish your thought now? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and it was interesting listening to what they just had to say. One year, I taught a class of Spanish two at the high school. Well, Spanish two was a junior high course. So needless to say, the majority of the students in the class were repeating. And the teachers had sent up an awful reputation along with the students. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I discovered was that they had such a bad experience in that first level that anything that looked or sounded, or, or, or previous level, excuse me, um, looked, sounded, felt like the previous course uh, shut them down immediately. And I realized I had to throw out whatever materials I had previously used to teach that course and start fresh. Start with something that appealed to those students. I found a short novel, so I wasn't doing what the textbook had been doing, um, and all sorts of alternate curriculum. And all of a sudden, they, they came alive. And they elevated what they could do, because it allowed for a fresh start for them, because it was just a different approach. Um, and then the third thing I was going to say, before I lost my mind, <laughs> was I always tell students what they're doing right and how many they get right. I never have a minus anything. I always have a plus everything. Mm -hmm. 
And then I tell them based on what they've gotten right so far and what they need to do to be able to move that up and beyond. Mm -hmm. And we'll do alternate instruction, tutoring, and then always the opportunity to demonstrate that they have added knowledge to that. So just by changing the whole mentality, I think schools are very focused on the negative, what we can take away from kids, and let's mm -hmm. add. Let's make it a place that is always adding to kids' knowledge and adding to kids' self-esteem. And Joanne wanted to add to that. I think what Joanne gave us was a good example of thinking out of the box, that she had to reach her students a different way, and she chose modalities that did not feel, smell, act like the old one. And if you're willing to think out of the box, that's great. It's going to take more time and effort, but in the long run, you're much more successful because you are reaching the kids a different way. And they're not leery of the old style. They're willing to try the teacher with the new style. And I think that's where your success lies. Thank you. Do we have another question from our audience? Yes. I actually did a little bit of research about how do people regain language skills. And I can't even tell you now, it's been so long. But, and, and this makes sense in terms of what we know about second language acquisition, that we need input before we can have output. So I realized I just had to read. And so I read anything I could possibly get my hands on, and all of a sudden I could feel that brain, the old din in the head, mm -hmm. um, just start to go where, it was like, I remember that, I remember that, oh yeah. And from input to output. So after I had read and read and read, I tried to take the things that I had read and I started a journal and I just started writing. And then I moved on to the listening and I didn't choose that first because of the pace of it. I could take that reading and reread it and reread it. And these are all um, approaches we can use with our students as well. Um, and then from there, began trying to speak it, and then putting myself in situations where I would have to speak it. Um, interestingly enough, when I left my position as a high school teacher, I went into a PhD program full-time in education. Well, they weren't speaking Spanish. And so I have a dear friend who's from Colombia, and so we had lunch every Tuesday. So we could just speak Spanish. And so it was a way for me to not lose my skill just to make sure I was up on it. So I guess I would say to seek places for input, practice that output, and create situations where you have to use that language. And did my skills come back right away? No. <laughs> um, but they did come back. And I was fortunate in that I was hired originally to teach at a middle school level. So at the same time that I was continuing to work on my skills, um, I was also, at, my skills were improving as I was able to move up the levels. And then of course, you know, my NICEFELT members, we have those wonderful scholarships. I won a NICEFELT scholarship to study in Salamanca, Spain. And when I came home in July, I was asked to move up to the high school level where I would be teaching four, five, and AP when I had been teaching one and two. But that immersion experience prepared me and I was able to do that. Thank you. Yes? The question is, what are the characteristics of a good department head? And department head? Yes. And uh, going along with that, how would a good chair of a department or a good administrator in any case be a good inspiration to the teacher? in your experience. All right, as a former chair of a department, um, the department, um, several skills, organizational skills, being very, very organized. Uh, teaching, modeling teaching. Uh, when I was a department chair, I taught three classes, and I invited my teachers to come into the classes if they wanted to. Having a student teacher myself. You know, always being, um, 
very, very important, I think, for a department chair to really understand what their teachers are doing and what, their dem- what the demands are on them and that you really are connected to the students as well so that you can experience the same types of issues that they're having. Uh, but I, I think it's also it, it, you want to be supportive of your teachers. So at your uh, meetings, at uh, one of the things I always did with uh, my teachers is that in September I had conferences called professional pedagogical goal-setting meetings. So the teachers actually had to come up with two or three goals that they wanted to work on for the year, and we had a conversation about how could I help them attain those goals. Then we met again in the mid-semester in January and said, okay, let's look at the goals. Where are we now in meeting that? Do we need to continue on those? Do we need to make some changes? When I went in to do observations, we took those goals out again and said, you know, where, where do you see yourself moving uh, in terms of these goals? And did I need to provide uh, visits to them to other colleagues? I mean, I did a lot of intervisitations with our teachers where, for example, um, a group of teachers would come together and we would visit another teacher, but we did it with a focused question. We never went into another class to just observe the full class, you know, and just you know, not to be directed. We had a focused question, and whether it be, you know, what is the evidence of student engagement, or is there evidence of accountable talk? And we did that, and we went in as a team, and then we came out after and had a protocol for debriefing that conversation so that the conversation was not threatening. It wasn't negative about what we didn't like. We focused on the positive. By doing that, teachers had the opportunity to see skills that their colleagues had. They had the opportunity to really talk about you know, um, best practices and give suggestions to each other, and it really worked towards developing a learning community. Then the following month, we observed another teacher who did that. In fact, Robin, we observed, we did that with you, with, with the intervisitations. But I, I think it's very, very important that, you know, in setting up your department from the very beginning, that you are very, very organized, that your goals are clear, your teacher's goals are clear, what the expectations are. Communication is key. Communication to teachers, communication to your students, communication to parents, to other faculty members, and that you are consistent with that, that there is a consistency in grading policy, consistency with the word curriculum. I mean, there's a whole thing, and I have manuals on it that I've prepared (laughs) that I'd be happy to, you know, to give you some of those outlines if if you're thinking of... Oh, okay. (laughs) I'll give you my email, and you can... My phone number, I'd be happy to, you know, if I can be helpful. (laughs) I'd be very happy, you know... To, to help if there's anything I can answer. But those are just some of the things that, you know, but I think, you know, being very organized and being attuned to what the concerns are and, and your teachers' needs is very, very important. If I may just say that when you're going in to start something new, don't try and change everything the first week. You know, prioritize one or two things that you can change then. Listen, learn a lot before you make any major implementary change. We do have time for one more question. Yes. Um, yes, yes, I, I would. Um, it would be a case where, um, when I was an administrator, one of my teachers, um, very, very frustrated that some of his students were not learning, you know, says to them, you guys are stupid. Um, you know, and, and what it did for those kids, they came, parents came up. It, it, you know, you don't forget that. You're not going to forget that when a stu- when the teacher says that to you. And because it impacts on your self-esteem, it impacts on you know, who you are as a person, as a learner. And, and that's what I mean, because sometimes, you know, with our words or our own frustration as teachers, we will say things in class. And, you know, the, here's a case where the student came to me immediately. He was so upset, told the family. Family came up. We had to do, you know, mediation and, and so forth. But it, it really, you know, we, we want teachers to really be careful about when they say things like that to students. Um, I mean, my, many, many years ago, I had an art teacher who I, I was so proud of my drawing. I love to draw. She came over and says, oh, that's horrible. Well, I stopped drawing from that day. Liberty Press. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't draw anymore because I, you know, I'm so proud of my work, and my art teacher said, well, you know, it's that, that's what I mean in, in terms of scarring because we, you know, or when we say, oh, gee, you know, uh, and we've done that. I mean, I've had several teachers who have said some things to students that are very, very negative, and I'm, you know, if I've, some of you have had those experiences as well or something is, is, is really negative, you know, verging on verbal abuse with kids. So that's where, you know, kids do not forget. 
they do not freak out. And that's what I meant by being very careful about, you know, the language that we use with our kids, what we model, you know, what our expectations are, and just to, to really be thoughtful about that. Thank you. I'd like to thank the audience for your participation with our panelists today. Um, if you'd like to know more about what Nicefeld has to offer, in addition to our people that inspire, um, in 15 minutes we're going to be having our programs that inspire panel. Tomorrow we have a practices that inspire and a Nicefeld showcase, so we welcome you to come to that to find out what else Nicefeld is doing. Uh, we also invite you to go to www.nicefeld.org to find out everything that's going on in New York State. And if you're not already a member, you might be inspired to join us. <laughs> Upcoming events, Nicefeld has its summer institute at Sony, SUNY Oneonta from August 3 through 6, and it's going to be exciting and hot. That's the title, not the weather condition. That's the title. And there is the Nicefeld Annual Conference in Rochester, October 15, 16, and 17, about the I generation. And finally, a world of thanks to today's panelists who opened our eyes to inspiring the students, inspiring the teachers, inspiring us. You're all language teachers. You are the inspiration to your students. And I'd like to finally give thanks to Joanne O'Toole, Joanne Esrick, and Rosa Riccio Piatanza.